Okay, the reading is from Zephaniah chapter 3, starting at verse 8 and to the end of the chapter, to verse 20. Father, we just pray that you will bless this word as we read it. We thank you, Lord, that we can read it in freedom and uh, learn more about you through your word. I pray that you will be with Glenn as he brings your message to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear and uh, hearts to understand and know what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. The conversation of the nations. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Israel's joy and restoration. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is your, in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says, says the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Glenn Decker. I'm one of the 
pastors here at church. And uh, as I've been thinking about the beginning of the year and I was uh, wrestling with um, what to preach about through January, um, there's been a sense that sort of God uh, working and moving in my heart and um, wanting to encourage us as a church uh, to focus on God. And so uh, these first few weeks of January, we're just going to be looking at aspects of God, of who God is and uh, who we are as a result of him. And so today's one, um, we're going to start in uh, Zephaniah um, and uh, we're, we're going to look at uh, joy and delight. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I found these images, and I ask you this. When was the last time you felt like that about your faith, about walking with God? When was the last time that you could express your faith like that? That you had a deep sense of joy, that when you realized and recognized who God was, that actually brought a smile to your face that you actually took delight in who he was, delight in who you are because of him. And so as we enter uh, a new year, and as we um, go through this sermon this morning, I pray that you'll come out the other end of it with some of this on your face. That what truth God brings to you this morning will result in something like this. Something that brings a smile to your face, a skip to your step, <laughs> delight to your life. Question and answer one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. It says, what is the chief end of mankind? <laughs> and the answer is this, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So the question I have for you is, do you? Do you actually enjoy God? <laughs> uh, is your walk with Him one that actually brings you a sense of delight? That makes you smile? <laughs> that brings purpose to life? That gets you through the day? <laughs> And as I was looking at my own life, and as you guys look at your life, you've got to ask the question, if not, why not? <laughs> why do we find this so hard? Why do we find this so hard? John Piper uh, has this saying uh, a lot about his uh, ministry, that he says, uh, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. So God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. What's an expression of satisfaction? It's joy, isn't it? That's what he's talking about. So I, uh, God is most glorified when I am most joyful in him. And I think the problem is <laughs> that we're too busy trying to find joy and satisfaction in other things, not God. And I think that's why we find this hard. And so I ask you that question, where are your joy levels? 
And as you come into uh, this new year, uh, last year, my new year's resolution was to be more joyful. And if you were to ask me, did it work? How did I go with it? <laughs> I'd say uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Probably the first half of the year was a bit tougher. But there was a definitely a sense of God's presence there. The second half of the year, I've probably become more expressive of that joy. As I've, um, I've probably had time to ponder and think about who God is, who I am because of him, and what he's called me to do. And there have been times this year where I have been brought to tears, <laughs> joyful tears, as I recognize who God is and who I am because of you. And I ask you, when was the last time you were brought to tears because of the love of God? When was the last time you got emotional because you are his child? And despite what you've done or how you've lived, he continues to pursue you as his child. His promises are not broken because of what you do. And he's promised to never leave you or forsake you despite what you do and how you treat him. When we focus on God, we remember who we are in Christ. I think start, things start to change inside. And I, I think um, as I, I look at us and I think at us, uh, how does that express out of us? And so as we uh, head into this new year, as I said, I want us to focus on God. Uh, as I've said, that we're going to do that in January, to remember who God is. Um, and this morning, hopefully understand uh, some of the fact that God delights in you as his people. Um, remember, as we've come out of Revelation, if you've been around, we've preached on Revelation, that we had this picture of how Jesus loved his bride and that he would do anything for her. And his bride is the church, that's us. And uh, this imagery that comes out of Zephaniah is, at, is that. Uh, I used to read this thinking it was actually a father-daughter type situation. And you can sort of read it that way. But if you actually read the context of the rest of the chapter, it actually is more a bridegroom for his bride. And he loves uh, this bridegroom uh, so much that he delights over her and he sings over her and he rejoices over her. And that's us. We get this amazing picture. It is an amazing picture that God delights over his people. I think in the church, we get this mixed up. I think that you came here this morning thinking that you have to delight in God. And that you came in here thinking that you have to praise God and that you have to sing to God. And that if you do that, God will be happy with you. Bom, bom. It's the wrong way around. God is not pleased with you because of what you do. He's pleased with you because of who you are. And that you are his children. That you are his dearly loved bride. And he will do anything for you. And so he delights in us when we get together and sing and praise and worship and pray. But we don't have to do that to him to make us right with him or to bring joy to ourselves. Um, I found a couple of different versions of this verse um, in the Bible. 
And I just thought, there's some, just, sometimes it's interesting to do this, and, and I encourage you to do this. You can do it online nowadays. Sometimes just get the Bible verse that you might be reading or thinking about and just look at a couple of different versions of it because it's, it brings out different uh, sort of aspects of it. Uh, the new, new international version uh, talks about um, God in this, in this um, being a mighty warrior. He is the one fighting for his bride. He is the one saving for his bride. And uh, just you can have a read through some of these, some of the language that comes out there that he's not rebuking his bride anymore. He's calming his bride. He uh, calms the fears. He rejoices with songs. There's gladness uh, in his heart uh, over his people. So do you ever think of God this way? Do you think of God as someone who pursues you as a lover pursues the one that they love? The Bible is full of very explicit language about how God loves you as his people. And the explicit language is around bride and bridegroom type language. And he loves his people uh, in that sort of way. And he gives us that image that God delights in us. He pursues us. He gives himself to us. Dare I say it, God worships us. Do you believe that? Did you think I've just gone too far? That God actually worships us? Well, it says in the text that he does. Did you you read verse 19 and 20 where he says, he's talking about his people, he's talking about you, and he says, I will give them honour. I will give them praise. How do you express worship? You sing over people. You sing. That's what we do to God. And yet here God is saying, I worship you. I praise you. I honor you. That's how much I love you. That's how much I delight. That's how much you are valued by me. It's almost unbelievable. (laughs) As Di read at the start there, when she read the message version, it says that God delights in you with his songs. It's just an amazing picture of God. And the Bible is full of this sort of picture, and and it's saying, I want you to know this. This is what should bring a smile to your face. This is what should bring a spring to your step. This is what should make you look at this year differently despite what circumstance you may be facing, whether it's cancer, whether it's broken family, whether it's whatever it is, he says, this is how I view you. Whether it's being caught in sin and I can't stop, he says, this is the way I love you and I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I want you to remember the promises that I have for you (laughs) that nothing separates you from my love through Jesus Christ. So the question is, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Just think about it for a bit. How do you react when someone shows you love? Romantic love, relationships, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends. How do you feel when someone expresses love to you? How do you react? I just found this picture and I thought there's something in this picture that says... God wants you to have this picture etched in your mind about how much he loves you. 
Have you thought about when someone gives you um, like a random act of kindness? Have you had, a, had one of those? How did it make you feel? How did you react? <laughs> That's it. Didn't it bring a smile to your face? Didn't it put a spring in your step? Didn't it make you look at the rest of the day differently? God's saying, guys, I want you to know this. It's got to change the way you live. Or when you received a visit during your grief, or someone that sent you a text when you were down, how did it make you feel? I think about sometimes it makes us smile. Has it made you cry? Because often that's what happens. If you get a raw expression of love, what is it? Aren't we moved to tears often? They're joyful tears. They're celebratory tears. They're tears of understanding how deep we are loved. And God wants you to be moved emotionally by the extent of his love for you. And coming out of Christmas, we know that all too well, don't we? How much God loved us, how much Jesus loved us, that he didn't consider it, or what did it say, what does it say? That he considered it joy as he went to the cross, because that's how much he loved. There's a sense that Jesus went to the cross with a smile on his face as he thought about his bride, the church, and he knew what that was achieving that that would mean that his people get to live with him for eternity in perfection. So the question is, we still got to realize, uh, wrestle with, why don't we live in that joy and happiness? What stops us? I think sometimes as Christians, and I know for myself, is that I get into the trap of what I said before, is that I'm working too hard to keep him happy. I think that Sometimes God's delight in me is based on what I do. How much I read, how much I pray, how much I go to small group, how much I do in the church. God says, none of that affects the way that I love you. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how bad you are, it doesn't affect my love. My love for you has been shown through Christ and you are mine forever. And yes, he loves it when we respond by honoring him and he loves it when we respond by doing what he says, but it doesn't affect how much he loves us. And I think what stops us are the lies of Satan <laughs> who wants us to um, not have a love relationship with God. Uh, Satan who tempts us with the stuff of the world, isn't it? That we try and find joy and satisfaction in the things of the world, either in circumstances or things that are coming our way, we think that joy and happiness come through great holidays, great food, great sex, great fun, great experiences. That's what brings happy, happiness and joy to our life. And we are sold the lie because <laughs> they're a bit like the ping pong balls is they get burnt up and they realize that they actually don't deeply satisfy and they disappear you know, you've heard it time and time again uh, from the richest people in the world that they get to the end of their lives and it's like, what was the point of that? This didn't satisfy. People who had fame beyond compare, people who had success beyond compare, it vapored <laughs> as it was burnt up. 
Uh, Tim Keller has this great example, and I've used it here before, but I just thought, again, it just resonates with me. She, he's talking to this 16-year-old uh, Christian girl who's not getting a boyfriend, um, and she's upset about it, and he gets opportunity to counsel her. And she's a Christian girl, and he says, you know about how much Jesus loves you? And she says, yes. You know that Jesus so loved you that he went to the cross. You know Jesus promises that he'll get you through, that he loves you in um, and he surrounds you through whatever you go through. And she says, yeah, but what's the good of that if you can't get a boyfriend? And all of us know the truth of that. We know the promises of God. <laughs> and yet somehow we still allow the circumstances of our lives to distort the truth. And God's saying, no, I want you to be reminded of the truth again. I want you to know, even though you're broken and you're human and that you think 16-year-old pimply boys are more important than me, I still love you. <laughs> and I want you to come back to me. And I want you to seek, with me, seek me and be with me. There's uh, this book that I'm reading, an e-book at the moment, which is called The Joy Project. And it's a quote, I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote that says, all that we call human history... Things like money or even poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery in the long and terrible story of mankind is basically mankind trying to find something other than God in which to make ourselves happy. And he says it doesn't satisfy. Come back to me and know my love, the depth of my love for you. Piper sums it up uh, in that book and he says, um, he, say, he, he sums up this tragedy that we're sold off to the world and we're, uh, we're trying to seek satisfaction by the world and he, he calls that total depravity, that our sin is so much that we, we, we can't see it. And he says, this total depravity is not badness, but it's actually blindness. Blindness to God's beauty. It's actually deadness to God's joy says, the root problem is not that we break the commands. Our problem is that we ignore God. We ignore the beauty of who God is. We ignore his love and his joy. And the beautiful thing is, that comes out in Zephaniah, is that God keeps chasing you. He keeps pursuing you, no matter how far you've fallen from him. And all he says is, come back. And what does he say? Repent and believe. So repent means turn back to me and believe it's true. That's all you have to do. Believe that I so love the world that I sent Jesus to die for you. That believe that Jesus on that cross took all your sin and shame so that you may be, remember what we read in Revelation? Made clean and pure and right, the spotless bride before him. That's the way he views you. That's the way he sees you. And the Bible is very real, just like Paul is real. Can you remember what Paul says? He says, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The things I should do, I don't do. And it goes on and on. And the Bible is full of people who just get, keep going and say, what wretched person I am. And then what's the next sentence? But there's no condemnation for me. I'm a right with Christ. I'm pure with him. I'm a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's how much God loves me. And that's the paradox of it, isn't it? That we're totally broken and totally forgiven all at the same time. 
And this is the journey of love that we, that we go. I think sometimes for us as Christians, we, we, we go down this path to that we're broken, we're sinful, we're never good enough for God. And we skimp on the fact that God sees you as spotless and pure and right and blameless. That's how he sees you now. I believe that, there, that God chooses to forgive and forget your sin. So he's not going to bring it up again and remind you <laughs> of that. That's the accusation of Satan that's trying to get you to remind you how unlovable you are, how disgusting. Why would God ever want to? But God, no, he forgives and forgets. And he chooses to look at you as his beautiful bride and says, you are my child. There's nothing that separates you from me. I want you to know that. I want, you, I want that to put a smile on your face. <laughs> I want that to put a spring in your step, to get into life and get into this year. And God says, I will pursue and I will uh, romance you in that. <laughs> There's a quote in this Joy Project book, which has taken over me a little bit, <laughs> that says, the Lord, and this is Piper, uh, oh no, sorry, the author of the book, and I keep forgetting to put his name in, so I'll have to find who he is. Um, the Lord doesn't talk about your sin, so that you'll think you're trash. He talks about it because you're not. He talks about it because you are made in his image and he has an infinitely higher and brighter plan for you than the one that you choose for yourself. And so Zephaniah and the stuff that that um, Scott read out and that we read out the start of that stuff, that brokenness and that sinfulness and that stuff, that is burnt away. <laughs> and all God sees is the gold and the jewels and the beauty and the perfection of you as his son and daughter, as his beautiful bride. See, God doesn't bring this up in Zephaniah. You know, he doesn't bring it up to his people. He doesn't want them to feel bad, does he? Because sometimes I think we do that. We think that God confronts us with sin because he wants to make us feel bad. He doesn't want to make us feel bad. He loves us. He wants us to have joy. He reminds us of where we've been uh, and, 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 and what he now views us as. But he doesn't want us to feel bad in that. He wants us to know forgiveness and grace and mercy. He wants to know the, us, the extent of his love. That's why he's telling us about that stuff. It's an expression of his love. And so again, as you head into this year, I ask that you would examine your hearts, that you would look deep and close, and it does take deep time and uh, analysis of where our hearts are and where we're trying to find satisfaction and joy. And what we'll find is not pretty. Often it's not pretty. And I would say the, the more you're a Christian, and I've said this, uh, the more you're a Christian, the closer you come to Jesus, the more sinful you recognize yourself to be. <laughs> and God says, I don't want you to dwell in that, but I just want you to realize that's a measure of how much I loved you. <laughs> that's how much I want to pursue you. I don't want you to live like that. I've got a better plan for you. Come and follow me. And so the commands, that God gives us the commands, the commands are not there for law. That was the Old Testament. They're there for grace. The commands show us what love looks like. Okay? Remember it says, do not have any gods before me. What's that saying? It says, that's what love looks like. Love looks like you only having eyes for me. Me being the only one. And that if you start having an affair with the things of the world, 
you start having eyes for someone else, no, that's not what I want for you. I want you to have eyes for me because all I have eyes for is you. You're the only one. That's why I'm a jealous God and I wipe off all the other gods off the face of the earth. Anyone? No, because I only want you and I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. So where do we go with this? As God's bride, as you head into this year, you need to remember this truth. We, as the church, need to remind each other of his love for us. We need to preach to ourselves individually, preach to each other, and remind each other of this is the God that we are living for and serving with. This is the extent of his love. And as you go into this year, I ask that you would pray and ask God to renew your sense of joy, renew your sense of his love. Have you ever heard this statement? You don't go to church to get, you go to church to give. Have you heard that? I've probably said it from up here. You don't, you don't go to church to get, you go to give. It's a lie. You actually come here this morning to receive. You actually come here to receive God's message of love for you and to fill you with joy so that you then can serve. <laughs> and so remember that the perfect lie tells an element of truth about it, doesn't it? Because if you only come to church thinking that I'm just going to receive, <laughs> that's, not, that's not, no, he says, I want you to know this love so that you can show the world what that love. So I fill you up um, and so that you can love. And we do that sort of mutually here. And so there's an element that God's called you here this morning to hear this truth. He wants you to know again how much he loves you and what extent that he went to you for you. And so as I uh, finish this up, I, my favorite psalm is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David where he has committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is a psalm of David who is an adulterer and a murderer. And yet he is the man after God's own heart. He is the one that God loves and pursues. God pursues that sort of person. The leader of his people. Imagine that was me, that I had an affair and then organized in a hit on. And yet, that's the type of people. That, and right, the Bible's full of them. This church is full of them. Because remember what Jesus said, who adulterers and murderers are? People who look lustfully. Or think badly. And they're the sorts of people that God pursues. And they, he pursues them because of what his son did and achieved. And so in this Psalm 51, it's a prayer. Listen to the way it prays. And I, uh, he prays. And I ask that you may take some of these words into your year. He prays. Let me hear as he realizes where he's fallen. He says, God, let me hear your joy and gladness again. May that be your prayer, whatever situation you're in today and this week. And he says, let these bones that you have crushed rejoice. And he holds that paradox together, doesn't he? He is convicted and then he says, I want joy again. He says, create in me a pure heart. 
Holy Spirit, come in and refine my heart because I know if I'm left to my own devices, I'll be sold to the world and sold to myself. So come in and change me. Holy Spirit, come in and I preach it all the time. Give me your fruit. That fruit is not something you conjure up. It's a gift from God. Say, God, give me more peace. Give me more joy. Give me more love. Give me more kindness. Give me more gentleness. Put a smile on my face. Put a spring in my step so that I may live my life bringing glory to you. I need it. And this world needs it. And he says to me, he says in this prayer, he says, Restore restore to me the joy of your salvation. You hear that? See, I used to often read that, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's it's God saying, this is the gift for you. This is how much I love you. I have given, and he's saying, restore that to me. Remind me of who I am because of you. And then he says, I will teach others. He said, that will change my life. That will change my attitude to the way I live in this world. That will change the way that I speak to others. This love that I've experienced from you will flow out of me into the lives of others. And so open up my lips, this is what he says, and I will declare your praise. With a smile on my face, I'll say, this is the sort of God that loves me. This is the sort of God that comes and says he loves you. And at the, end of the, at the end of the psalm, he says to God, he says to God, you do not delight in sacrifice. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. We first think, what? Isn't that what they were supposed to do in the Old Testament? That's what God delighted in. And then it comes down, he says, no, the sacrifices that God delights in are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. What you desire within us, God, is truth. And the truth is that we recognize that we've slipped far from him. And despite that, he still loves us. And that in that, you can't bring a sacrifice to God. You can't serve God this year. You can't work God in this church unless you have a love relationship with him. Unless you understand his love for you. And that results in joyful service. So this year, as we go into this year that we serve in this place with a smile on our face. We serve in this place with a spring in our step. We serve this community with a passion that God has pursued us with as we pursue those who are lost in this world. Because then he says at the end of the psalm, then he says, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up Jerusalem. Who's that? That's the people of God. And say, God, in your love, in your pleasure, in your joy, in your delight, make us flourish as your church, as your people. Make us flourish so that we bring glory to you. Then, he says, then there will be sacrifices that you delight in. Then God will delight in what you do, how you serve in this place, how you turn up when you do what you have to do this year. Then God will. So as we leave here this morning, know God's love for you, his pursuit for you, his delight for you, his joy in you, his honor in you, his singing over you. And may that bring a smile to your face, a spring to your set as you serve him in 2016. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. 
beyond compare. We thank you that you have given us this vast and amazing picture that the creator of the universe, the one who calls all things into being, comes and delights over us, sings over us, rejoices over us, praises us because we are your dearly loved bride. We are your children. We are loved by you. Lord, so as we head into this year, will you please restore to us joy and delight. May we know the joy of your salvation. May we know the depth of your love. May we be filled to overflowing with your love, grace, mercy, and compassion. And so that as we serve, as we work together this year, we would radiate as your bride, overflowing with your love in this broken world. So this week, for each of your people, Lord, sitting here this morning, whatever their circumstances, whether it's hardship or trial, whether it's depression or struggle or sickness, Father God, it's my prayer that by the power of your Spirit, that you would restore unto them the joy of your salvation, that you would restore to them your joy and delight, and that they would have a smile in their fa- on their faces and a spring in their step, because they are known as your beautiful bride, as your loved children. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.